Welcome to The New Next, a podcast that addresses current events and how they will impact the future. Co-hosted by the inquisitive public speaking champion, Mike McVeigh, and energy economics and technology expert, Matt Jensen. Join us as we explore all things energy, economic, tech, and political, and how they will affect our future. Hey, Matt, it's been too long. How's it going? Um, well, you know, I, I won't lie. Uh, I have consumed your book so many times now. I think it's about time you write your next book in the in the series, and it's almost inspired me to write the second book of my series. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think about what it what it should be right now. Um, I'm thinking about artificial intelligence mm -hmm. as probably um, or computer vision. So. Well, the ABCs of, um, of those is, I, I, I will definitely be glad to get a copy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I should probably just do artificial intelligence. So let's see. So in all the world happenings, probably the most important thing is what goes on at my work. Um, huh. at least to me and one of my employees and I, uh, our coworkers and I, we, um, we've been talking, he's recently, been doing a lot of uh, real estate type stuff, um, trying to learn some of the vocab and ultimately. So courses. Um, yeah. I don't know exactly who he's going through specifically, like for the actual certifications, but um, there's a, there's a lot of influence that comes from like uh, Robert Kiyosaki's uh, rich dad, poor dad. Yeah. Um, and there's some others uh, that are almost on that kind of guru side kind of thing. Um, they're not necessarily gurus, but they're right on the line of the kind of great Cardone kind of stuff. Um, and I'm not, and I'm not bashing it, at least not on this episode. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, we all know and, how you feel about Grant card, Grant Cardone. And the Cardone's, in, Cardone zone. The Cardone zone. What? I said, and the Cardone zone. Ah, ah, gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, um, well, ultimately, I actually like all those people that I've mentioned. Um, I just think there's a certain limit to what their advice comes down to. In fact, that's kind of what I think we're going to talk about for a little bit is, um, one, how much does financial literacy um, play into your potential wealth, I guess. And then yeah. the second thing is um, a specific strategy that both Kiyosaki and Cardone specifically mention as the easiest way to make wealth. Um, and then the sustainability of how many people can involve themselves. Does that sound about fair to yeah. uh, for you to totally. read apart and tell me how I'm wrong? <laughs> um, <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> um, so, I'm ready. I'm um, like a, a grizzly bear. I know. I know. Like, you're, you're, you're sitting up. You're like, all right, let's get this on. Um, <laughs> I got a taste uh, of blood. I'm ready. To I, I can see it already. So I do. Um, I do completely agree with my coworker about the facts, fact that financial literacy and talking about how things actually work in society, like how money works is not something that's taught in our school systems. Um, for the most part, I'm sure there's exceptions to the rule, but colleges, mm -hmm. even business majors and stuff do not talk about how money actually works. They talk about yeah. more of 
they, they describe money and how it works as opposed to talking about the details. So I completely 100% agree with the fact that, um, most Americans or most of the, yeah, most Americans, most of the Americans do not have an understanding of anything about money. Yeah. Um, um, and as I said, he's specifically influenced by uh, Robert Kiyosaki's uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad program. And I, I've gone through a free version of that because I never had enough money to enter in um, at the times that I was most interested. <laughs> um, have, have you read the book? Yes. Yes. Okay. I've read a couple of the knock, uh editions uh, that were specifically made like the kid version or oh, okay. one specifically made for, um, I forgot which one it was, but like, um, it was a specific industry or something. Yeah. Um, I've, I've only read rich dad, poor dad, and then listened um, to his content. And I don't really know as much on, like, I don't think there's as much argument about financial literacy, but it's, um, the main concept of rich dad, poor dad, which, is what inspires the title is, you know, the rich dad or uh, Kiyosaki's um, blood dad, his biological dad works for a college. And it's like, this is the life you just uh, get <laughs> tenure and um, everything will be taken care of. You don't <laughs> have to worry about things. And um, Kiyosaki's best friend, his dad um, was a mover and shaker in the business world and basically said that, um, the worst thing you can do is just expect people to pay you. Um, and there's, that's a very simplified version, but, uh, Kiyosaki reflects multiple times through the book about that. His biological dad is his poor dad. And then his uh, best friend's dad ends up kind of being a, um, a substitute dad. And, um, and one of the things I'll even say, and this has been my argument with my coworker multiple times, I don't think anybody can just start completely from scratch without somebody reaching out or somebody being able to give you that first kind of bump. And even, even in the book, Kiyosaki mentions how his rich dad gives him loans at ages that adults generally don't give teenagers. Um, now Kiyosaki was meant to pay it back and he had a time frame and stuff, but just the fact that it was entrusted to him, is something yeah. that most people never get that kind of opportunity possibly ever, <laughs> let alone when they're a teenager and having well, someone guide them around as well. Most people aren't making those opportunities for themselves. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's the, <laughs> that ends up in the side argument that I have with my coworker. <laughs> and when I say argument, it's not like we're yelling at each other or anything. It's not even usually contentious. It's just, um, looking at it differently. Um, and he's like, well, that's why, you know, you just, uh, convince a bank, you know, a bank person to, uh, to give you a loan, you know, you just have to be a good influence, um, huh? be really good at negotiation. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I'll speak from my, my world. And because I do have a credit score now and things, um, my stuff is being built. My opportunities to get loans or to get chances have more to do with my history. Um, I have a hard time believing that an 18 year old kid who's never had a job, who has no collateral and has no one supporting them is going to be able to get um, even a small loan from a bank, no matter how good their negotiation skills are. Well, they should. Um, well, why, uh, why, that did not, uh, your mic's not. Oh, I said they, why, why should they get a loan 
if they're not going out, getting a job and stuff like that, there's plenty of ability to get jobs as a teenager. Well, good. So I'm glad that we agree on this because I know we're getting, I'm getting ready to get ripped apart at some point. So, um, <laughs> and, and this is an argument. He's like, no, 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 no. All you have to do is, uh, um, you just have to be able to convince somebody to give you money. I was like, right. But that to me, it speaks of a certain kind of, um, and I really don't want to use the word I'm getting ready to use, but I really don't have a better one, but it speaks to a certain kind of privilege that you would even have opportunities at a younger age to get someone to invest in you as in you. Um, they accept there are exceptions to everything, but, um, does that make sense? I mean, even, even if you yeah. disagree with me, that does that make sense. Um, and well, he's I, like, no, 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 go ahead. Yeah. So I, I think I like, obviously I come from a privileged perspective or background in this perspective. Cause I grew up in family business and, had opportunities to make money, uh, mm -hmm. you know, working with other people doing labor and, uh, then I guess what you would call typically white collar jobs, you know, as teenager and stuff. But right. I, I've done a lot of other jobs for other people, uh, over the years. So like roofing, like installing sprinklers, uh, selling different products like door to door, mm -hmm. like, you know, selling stuff online and stuff like that, uh, building websites and doing it work, technical work. So that's all stuff I did on my own. Um, basically before I was like 16 years old, went out and made it happen. And I don't really, so like I, <clears throat> I recognize that I think like the privilege is in the fact that you know that you can do it. And like, that's, that's, I, I think being around and seeing it from other people and being able to model it mm -hmm. is where the privilege is. But I don't really think like in America, there's literally so many opportunities to make money, especially as a teenager. And most of those people too are typically better with technology and stuff like that. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I just, um, so I get, get the point. So, so basically my point is I've never felt that being, um, having someone else invest in you is really a determinant of success. And I think that's kind of like, there's, um, a lot of people in the economy are waiting to be picked rather than basically picking themselves and, you know, going out and make it, making it. So some of the, at least in my community, some of the most successful people that I, I see are, um, some of these like landscaping companies and, uh, like there's one in particular that I know is owned by, uh, uh, an, an immigrant and, you know, he's got like this really solid cash flow company. They do really good work locally and 
that's that's I think an example of someone that. Well, so so basically, like the, the like I I think the general perspective from it is wrong. Like I look at it from the, the person as investing is they're not looking at the person necessarily. If they're doing it correctly as they should be, it's they're managing credit risk. So okay. if you're like a brilliant kid, even though you come from nothing, then that lowers your credit risk on an opportunity and then you're more likely to invest in. So okay, so maybe I should back up a little bit because um the work that he's talking about specifically, we're not talking I mean, all the stuff you mentioned I I completely agree with. If you're willing to put yourself out there and doing those smaller ventures that can lead to bigger things. I'm not, that wasn't necessarily what I was talking about. So I apologize for not being more clear. Um, We're talking about specifically like flipping houses and being a landlord. He's saying at 18 that a bank should just trust him. um, If he's, if he's convincing enough that they will give enough money to buy a house um, to flip without any work history, without any, um, just because his plan is good enough to do that. And my argument was the only way that's going to happen, even if it's the bank, the bank's going to have to choose that your idea is just so good. Yeah. Despite the fact that you've never flipped houses before. Oh no, no, I've gone through a program. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, no, that that's not how it works. Um, and, uh, and so that, and, that, and that's where part of my argument has always been is that how are you raising the money to put down some collateral and he's like, well, you only need collateral if you don't have experience. And I'm like, yes, that's my point. You don't have any experience. Um, so where are you getting the, you know, where are you getting the trust that the bank is going to say, we're going to take a chance on you or yeah. an investor or whoever. Um, well, I and- think it's, I think it's a double edged sword. Cause if you talk about like, especially not house flipping, but, housing access in general, like something that you always have a, um, so talk about real world story. There were, um, in prior to the great financial crisis in Seattle, when I was still living in Seattle, there were, um, a lot of, uh, basically loans targeted to, um, you know, low income, low, low, uh, low wage kind of like minority communities in certain areas of Mm -hmm. the city, um, that the loans were based not on, uh, on their ability, like their credit willing rating and stuff, um, and ability to pay, but Mm -hmm. rather on these things that didn't, uh, matter, matter, I guess, to that. So like the kind of financial okay. transaction. Mm-hmm. So uh, I saw that, you know, when uh, the financial crisis hit and kind of like uh, adjustable rate mortgages went out of whack, there was just a flood in specific pockets of the city of these houses basically were, had, you know, were foreclosed on and had to go on the market. Right. So I think, I think when banks make decisions based on factors that aren't um, intangible or aren't related to the ability of the people to repay a loan. 
um, that has nothing to do based on, you know, like in, in that context, I'm not saying that's a hundred percent on their financial credit history and stuff like that, but, uh, it should always be on that credit rating because otherwise you get people in situations where when the tide turns then they're financially ruined and, um, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't maybe sophisticated on the financial stuff and expect mortgage bankers and whatever to give them good advice and mm -hmm. get in situations where, um, stuff like that happens. But on top of it too, when you have a lot of people that can't afford homes that are given loans, uh, to flood into the market, they increase prices and then further accentuate, you know, the price of it. So, so like I, you know, I believe housing's like a huge issue in the U S and housing ownership should be more affordable for people. But when you're, um, basically just giving people loans on stuff like that, I consider that irresponsible banking and from an aggregate society perspective, um, oh, yeah. I, I, I think that's incredibly irresponsible. So, um, if you're talking about like private loans or stuff or like family stuff like that. So in the case of this guy that you're talking about, they know him better. So if he has like a rich uncle or something that wants to put, you know, a third of a, um, of the, essentially the down payment down, so a third of a house so they can flip it and stuff. I think that's an entirely different situation than broader credit strategy from banks to give it to people that aren't necessarily going to be able to pay it back. So they're right. essentially going to take their money and take their wealth in the process. And, and I, again, I'm not, and I, I think we actually agree on a lot of what you just said. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't think that goes again. Uh, like from my understanding of the 2009 financial crisis um, through research I've read on my own, that all matches, you know, that, that doesn't, even with the stuff of like Bernie Madoff and stuff, that stuff matches what I understand. Um, even if I'm not always able to articulate it as clearly as I would like. Um, well, they used to call some of them, they called them ninja mortgages. It was no yeah. income, no job. Right. And I think, um, so, and again, this is only one employee or one coworker, but yeah. I think this is a concept, um, and I, I, I'm going to tie it back to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and um, Cardone and stuff in just a minute. Um, but there's this idea that you can just go and flip houses without, or you know, you go go buy real estate. And I'm like, so where are you getting the money from? Like, what's what's where what's the start of it? Well, you know, you just have to you just have to negotiate. You just have to be convincing. And I'm like. Well, that, so, so you can, in certain areas of the U S you can get houses for free and really, yeah. So like Detroit, for instance, I know that they're giving houses for free. Um, cause there's a lot of places where they have abandoned homes and okay. they're, they're basically getting that worse makes sense. by the day. So if you get a body in there to actually work on it, you're basically preserving the community and stuff like that. Um, Tulsa, I think is a good example because there's, you know, there's a lot behind it, but mm -hmm. there'd be like a abandoned house 
and then, you know, like a really tight knit community around it. And it's kind of like, well, this isn't necessarily a high income area, but, um, you know, having this abandoned house here basically lowers everybody's housing values in the area. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And again, that, um, well, he's in Oklahoma city. So, well, at least, um, and he's not looking at talking about other States and stuff. Um, and, and we talk about it and, and because I have at least gone through a couple of the, the same courses that he's going through now. But, mm-hmm. um, and one of the things he, uh, and he and his family and I, um, I'm not listing names or anything, but, uh, the house that he and his wife had originally had was not in a great neighborhood, um, uh, in 2020, but it was, you know, they, they were able to get a house to mortgage and stuff and it was decent enough. And then with all the housing stuff that's happened in specifically 2021, um, they sold their house, uh, in Oklahoma, <laughs> for way more than it was initially worth, but the housing, the housing, um, I don't even know what to call it. The housing flood. Yeah. Um, uh, basically it raised the price where like, I think the house was about $85,000 was like what they bought it for, um, because of the need and specifically where they're located, which again was not a good area overall. Um, they sold it for after paying off what, the rest of their house and paying bills and stuff. They basically pocketed $150,000. Oh, wow. That's great. Um, and, um, and then now, and, and they've got a new house in an area that's much more, um, much more reflective of, you know, like if they were to raise their children or something that they would feel comfortable. They wouldn't be scared about, um, a drive by or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that joking, like, like he, his whole life, he comes from those kinds of neighborhoods where, um, you, you know, so like uh, Southwest Oklahoma city. Yeah, actually exactly where he comes yeah. from. Um, but, um, not like as far deep as I am, but like actually like around the, yeah, yeah. Um, I know where you're talking the, about the poorer areas, um, like up towards, to, up towards the river. Yeah. Cl- closer to what we would call, um, the hood or the ghettos of Oklahoma city. That's basically <laughs> where he grew up. Yeah. And, um, so once he sold his house and now they have money and he and his wife have done some choices, um, they're like, Oh, well, Hey, this was easy. We bought a house and we just sold it. So we should do this. And he has a friend that that's one of the things he does in his business. That's one of the reasons what's inspired him to do this. And I'm like, no, that's cool. Um, but there's a lot of factors that went into it that you're forgetting about that. You're just, it's not like you just, um, bought a house and sold and flipped it there's a lot of factors that happened. And, um, well, so does he have a friend that's doing it successfully now? Yes. And that after they, um, sold their house, um, that's when his friend, um, took notice in him, I guess you could say, um, (laughs) um, a very good friend to notice him then. Um, and, and that's kind of part of my, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to mentor people if they don't have money to actually do it. Right. And that's, Again, that's part of my argument is saying that to me, having money is still a, a, a type of privilege. I'm yeah. not, I'm not, um, the difference between working at McDonald's minimum wage and working, um, um, in a different job that's even, a you know, 50 cents more than that. There's a difference and it gives you more power in a certain way. So I'm not, I'm not arguing whether one job is better or worse yeah. or like that. It's just, 
the more money you have, however you accumulate that and however, however you do that, it gives you a privilege or a fortune or a just a way to be able to do things you weren't able to do before. That's, that's my argument. I'm not, I'm not, so when I say privilege and stuff, I don't necessarily mean like it's just given to you and you're, you're not earning it and stuff. It's, um, but there's a difference again between that person who's working at McDonald's full time and saving as opposed to someone that's like, Oh no, just give me money. I'm going to buy a house and flip huh. it. Um, well, well, the whole flipping thing I think is kind of like get rich quick. Like if you yeah. look historically for the, well, and I, you know, I say that with, you know, kind of in quotes, right? Like I, I mm -hmm. think a lot of people see it on TV and they, they're like, Oh, I did this in 30 days and made a hundred thousand dollars, you know? So, um, but, uh, historically or like historically the best way for to build wealth in America is through real estate. Oh yeah. hundred percent. So what your friend's doing right. And then also on the business side to have a mentor that's actually successful in it. Mm -hmm. So I know for my, myself, I've always reached out and wanted to have, um, access to mentors or be around people that really stimulate me intellectually and, uh, were, you know, trigger me to learn and develop myself better. So I think what your friend is doing is really what, you know, the rich Pat dad, poor dad would advocate is understanding kind of a market, really getting into it and then finding mentorship, someone that's actually doing it, that can kind of walk you through it. And then as you come through scenarios where, um, there might be potential pitfalls, having someone to talk you through it, help you learn. Right. Um, hold your hand and really kind of mentor you through the process. Yeah. So, and, um, and I think that's actually part of where, so that's when it starts switching a little bit. Like everything you said, I completely agree. And I agree with the historical thing about wealth and stuff as well. Uh, coming yeah. Property. Um, so this is where I start having issues with, um, uh, Kiyosaki specifically, because Kiyosaki makes it sound like it's really easy to just um, acquire property um, in Rich Dad, Poor Dad specifically, and then some of his other supplemental materials. Um, it's it's a lot easier than you think. Well, tell me how and give me money, darn it. Um, get rich quick, get rich quick. Uh, um, and there's a, and Grant Cardone, what his big thing is, which is what, this is why I'm tying him into it because, um, uh, but it's the whole idea of passive income, yeah. um, not necessarily unique to Cardone by any means. Um, and I get a little bit more uh, animated, I guess you could say, when it comes to what people are calling passive income, um, especially yeah. when it's not passive income. Yeah, but definitely. It's, um, because to me, real estate, and, th and this, so this is my perspective. Let me make sure. So where I come from in the world, where I am in the world, this is what I'm talking from. I'm not talking from the business sense of what it's actually called. Um, if you're flipping houses or you're doing, or you're landlording in areas that, um, historically people are able to, um, um, you know, they're good tenants or, you know, you, you're more likely to have a good tenant probably, in a better neighborhood than or apartment complex than you are in an area 
that's, uh, you know, where he grew up and stuff. Yeah. And, and I'm like, so is that what you guys are doing? Or is you're going kind of like middle class up or upper lower class and stuff. And he's like, well, no, we're doing it in lower class area. I'm like, okay, so what do you do in these certain situations? Um, you know, um, well, he's like, well, if they don't have a certain credit score. We're not going to let them rent. I'm like, okay. So I, and I get that. I mean, I get this on the financial side of you're trying to protect your stuff, but you're also flipping an area or you're, flip, I keep on using flipping. I apologize. Mm-hmm. You're, you're talking about managing real estate in an area that right now, there's nobody in that area that's going to be like, it's, you're not going to have a young family um, like the Jensen's or the McVeigh's come in there and be like, Oh, I'm willing to live in this crap hole (laughs) Um, and paying as much as what I could in one of the suburbs or in a nicer housing addition, just a few miles away. I'm not going to pay that same amount um, when I'm afraid that I'm going to get shot or I'm going to get robbed just by walking outside my house. Well, there's like, no, no, no. there's, there's more opportunity, I think, to make money on it potentially. So Good because one. of that, well, so like, you know, sometimes, um, I mean, areas like that wouldn't really necessarily work for in- institutional companies. So, you know, the institutional companies like, uh, fun companies that do like at scale, renovations of apartments and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. they're probably going to be focused on a different market. So that drives up prices for stuff like that. And it's also very difficult to compete against those people and bidding stuff. So, you know, I think it's generally good to focus on what, you know, and he's already been successful in doing that. So I, I don't really, or like, I understand why he would continue to want to do it basically. Well, no, he's not yet been successful other than selling his specific house that he lived in, um, which they weren't even looking at selling at the time that that happened. Yeah. He has yet to flip, sell, manage property. Okay. Um, now his business partner, um, has, (laughs) Can I don't know his business partner, so I don't have any. I'm, this is from what he tells me, so I want to make sure yeah. that that's clear as well. Um, I I don't know. Have you lived in the poor side of neighborhood before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, I, there's a way you can make more money off of it, but I I think that those are. I don't know when you're paying more to live there than where it, where it costs for me to live here. Um and everything around you is bad. I don't think that's sustainable. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, well, I, I mean, it's at numbers. Yeah. I, I don't really know anything about it cause it's all dependent on specific stuff on whether or not it's, it's good investment, I think. Um, but yeah, it, it's, and part of it is, so this leads to the other argument of why, <clears throat> So both uh, the Kiyosaki or Rich Dad Poor Dad and Cardone, um, in fact, I'm still getting contacted by Cardone's company huh. um, five years later because um, I put an initial interest in, like, I'd like to receive more information. And I remember back in 2007, um, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad um, 
I'd read the book and I was at the poorest I'd ever been. And mm. we were literally on food stamps, um, not by choice. <laughs> uh, Meredith was, uh, Meredith had just been born. Um, she's not quite a year. Um, and Brenda had some stuff, so she wasn't able to work. And my work was, we were basically to provide and, um, just enough to get by. And, um, I'd read Rich Dad Poor Dad. It's like, Hey, if you'd like more information, you know, um, send a thing in on this request. So I did mm-hmm. a couple of days later, they're like, yes, uh, Robert Kiyosaki wants to personally invite you to his thing that's going on, um, next month and blah, 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 blah. Um, it's only going to be $12,000 and da, 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 da. Wow. I'm like, um, my family doesn't make $12,000 <laughs> and they're like, Oh, click. <laughs> But then they would call me again a month later, like, hey, Robert Kiyosaki wants to personally invite you to uh, this thing and everything. And um, so I was like, well, how much does it cost? They're like, well, all the benefits you get. And I'm like, that's great. How much does it cost? And um, they're like, well, it costs $5,000. <laughs> I'm like, huh. don't get me wrong. I'm not even, I'm not debating whether or not the value is worth it. So that's not my, my concern. That's a lot, that's a lot of money. Um, um, but, my income at the time, uh, before Brenda was able, before Brenda was good enough to be able to work again, was about four thousand dollars a year. Um, and I'm like, I'm sure it's worth it, <laughs> um, but I think you guys are going to need to remove me from your list because uh, I'm not going to be making the kind of money necessary to do hardly anything other than buy your books, <laughs> maybe huh. your board game, um, for a while. And, um, but they still kept calling. And finally, when they realized like, oh, he doesn't have money, they, they stopped bothering me. Um, the problem with Cardone's, um, stuff is that I've read his, uh, he, he's very forthright in his books about his strategies on how he does things. And he's like, even when people say no and stuff, we're going to still call back the, uh, you know, a week later, just to make sure, um, <laughs> we're going to make sure we're going to do everything possible to keep you from continuing to say no. Um, and his stuff is even more expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I looked um, it up. It was so wild. Um, like 30,000 when we were running our travel agency, um, I had just read, uh, Michael Mikowski, uh, um, uh, profit first series, which I, I'm a big fan of. I, I, um, it matches a lot of stuff that we've talked about, um, in the past and I haven't heard of it. Uh, um, so I contacted and they, set me up with a person and they're like, so how much does your company make per year? And I'm like, um, well, our company makes like, um, I think I said 75,000 to a hundred thousand a year. And she's like, Oh, so you're not really a company. And I'm like, um, excuse me. She's like, you guys can't afford this. Um, this like <laughs> we, we charge, you know, 30 to $50,000 a year to, partner up with you to do this. I'm like 30 to $50,000 a year. <laughs> I'm sure again, I'm sure it's worth if it. it. If it makes, if it helps you double your money, then yeah, it's um, definitely but, worth it. Right. But that was included. Like I wasn't talking about um, that. We were making profit 75 to hundred. Like we were making 75 to hundred um, as a company. Yeah. And um, so operating costs and stuff. Yes, we could have done loans and stuff, but there was no way to have been able to pay that. Um, based on our operating costs because we were already operating on. And I know this is something that you would probably like, yeah, but you shouldn't have done that. 
that's fine. But that's what we did. We were operating on basically what we needed to get by and not putting any more cost into the business that, um, if it wasn't necessary because we were on su- such tight margins. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a big gap between what, um, what is, uh, what poor people, and I'll put myself in that category or poor mindset. If you want to use the rich dad, poor dad thing, <laughs> poor, like poor, I, I'm, yeah, poor people I have mindset. a poor, I have a poor people mindset or at least yeah, a middle, do. middle, you. <laughs> well, we're, we're trying to change that. So. Are we? <laughs> I have to recognize it. If you would like to learn more about the New Next Podcast, find us at thenewnextpodcast.com, where you can suggest a topic you would like for us to cover. If you enjoyed what you heard, share the podcast, tell a friend about it, or rate us with five stars. 